Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of the Comedy Zero Field Report. The Comedy Zero Field Report is a member of the Believe podcast family. That's why I'm your favorite podcast platform. It reads Believe in the Comedy Zero Field Report and not the Comedy Zero Field Report. And I've been told by several guests now that, like, I don't know if you should keep doing this weird intro where you, like, call out your podcast network for giving you <laughs> the name you didn't want. And to them, I say, I haven't heard jack shit from them in 186 <laughs> episodes. So I'm going to keep doing it. Because this is the only way I know how to start the podcast now. And it's a fun, I guess, uh, throwaway pitch, which is how podcasts are supposed to start. Anyways, another that, Mitch Goss, and on to this week's amazing guests. Um, the the talent and the minds and the forces behind one of the most amazing plays uh, I've seen, one of the uh, most amazing comedy productions I've seen. LBJ, the play, premiered at Forget About Spaghetti Fest at the Elysian in 2022. And uh, making uh, hopefully coming to a theater near you very soon. Uh, please give it up for Caitlin Moore and Sunny Zimmerman, everybody. Thank you, thank you mm, so much for that very wonderful warm introduction. Absolutely yeah, sweet. You're very very sweet. welcome. I have many talents, and intros are one of them. Hey, as, <laughs> Hollywood's intro. Hundred eighty six episodes in. Yeah, Building yeah. The uh 186 so this is episode 187 and uh oh. a, it's a good reminder of how long it's been since quarantine started mm. did you I start at the beginning of quarantine yeah because people had literally oh. yelled at me to do a comedy podcast i was like yeah. you really want to hear me talk about comedy news and I was, and they said yes, and I was like, fine. And I just didn't have the time. And then March 2020 rolled around, and I suddenly had the time. It's been 187 a really, since March 2020. Yeah. A really oh transformative gosh. month for comedy, March 2020. Yeah. The birth of front camera humor, I think. Zoom prov. Zoom prov. Zoom prov. Wow. wow, I did Zoom prop for like a year there. That was brutal. Yeah, I honestly, I I, I was kind of living for it for a minute. For I I quit improv during the pandemic. I think Zoom prop did push me over the edge, but it also pushed me to a sense of euphoria. You know, because it's truly the lowest st- improv is already pretty low stakes, but Zoom prop is the lowest of stakes because uh-huh. no one's on that call who's not embarrassing themselves too. That's yes. the thing about Zoom prob. Nobody's laughing. Like even if they're laughing in their own home, which they're probably not, like they're on mute. Yeah. So you're doing it to a cold, cold Zoom. It's it's brutal. It's one of the most brutal things I've ever done in my <laughs> life. Are you? I wonder did, when you were doing Zoom prob, did you do any clever things for like character names and or scene edits? Because that's the thing that I marginally enjoyed for a minute. Yeah. Uh, I felt like for our improv group that we were both, I mean, Sonny was in more improv groups, but we were both in one improv group together. And I did feel like we all started uh, getting a little fast and loose with like, you know, popping the camera on and you know yeah. making a big entrance. Moving things around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, cool. like leaving the frame for something and then popping back in. Yeah, yeah you could get real creative with your yeah. improv. Prop work. I know. Which so- is kind of against the rules when you think about it. 
but it's on Zoom, so those rules are moot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Did exactly. you guys doodle? I saw I saw improv teams like just doodle to and put it to the camera, just like, hey, there's a bird in this scene. <laughs> I wish we well, thought of that. Yeah, all bets were off. We should have. Uh, man. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Good to know for the next time around. Mm-hmm. So Zoom <laughs> Zoom Prov. Oh, I'm sorry, Kellen. I cut you off. What were you gonna say? Oh no, I was just like, guffawing at the idea of another global pandemic that. I think it just would be funny to imagine, like, what if the same thing happened again in our lifetimes and we all were like, well, I guess Back we'll just do Zoom the same prom. shit we did the first time. Like, I'd yeah. like to think. <laughs> I'm hoping that I'll be, like, writing a book or something if this ever happens again, just doing uh-huh. something a, log a little cabin. more fruitful with my time. Right. Yeah. I would hope. I would hope. Uh, I, I would actually have to force my... <laughs> I'd have the projected time to actually watch The Sopranos. Oh, oh, you've never seen it. No, I, I I watched all of the wire, so I have that under my belt. Not the same, Jake. Not it's, the same. It's not the same, but I feel like there are institutional TV series that take like, all right, this is like a project now to yeah. get through. Yeah, yeah. I like last night was actually thinking about trying to watch The Sopranos again for like the fourth time in my life, and. I literally forgot about, I was like in the shower and I was like, I'm going to turn on Sopranos episode three when I get out. And then I completely forgot about it. Uh-huh. It's a sign. And did, didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you've reminded me. Yeah. So you're, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm uh, going to need to leave. I got to go start the Sopranos. <laughs> You'll be back in a month. Yeah. Not even give me two weeks. Give me a fortnight. Oh mm. damn, Fortnite! I that would <laughs> that would mean like sun up to sundown, yeah. To to, to binge every yeah. episode, yeah. That'd be my job. Have In you the guys computer to the toilet? Have you guys yeah. ever actually binge something? Yeah. yeah. Oh my oh, god! Certainly. Yeah, that's like what I was. Good raising. god! I was binging before it was a thing. Like you mm-hmm. know, the second that oh DVD Netflix box DVDs, sets, yeah. Access. I remember binging Lost, like the first three seasons of Lost, when only the first three had come out. I binged those for sure. Right. Right. Oh yeah, we're yeah. I binged Felicity. Um, that was a notable binge for me. Late in high school. Right. Um, I binged Degrassi. I like Kimmy Degrassi was going on for like basically all of our youth, and I remember I got into it in like season eight, and then I was like, but wait, what about the first, you know, so I one by one would buy the DVD box sets online and just Mm -hmm. make it through them. I was also an only child, so, you know. That helps. Yeah, I was an only child for half of my childhood, and uh, and a latchkey kid. I get it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Comedians of us all. There's always some reason. Um, so Zoomprov to this critically acclaimed play. How does that happen? It's so funny you say critically acclaimed. We've never had a critic come. Yeah, we've tried. I'm, oh, we've I'm tried. sorry. Uh, do I not count? I mean, I think sure. As a connoisseur, you know, a critic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I critique by omission. Like I, I, because oh. I don't think, uh, I don't think it's a anybody's use of my time or energy to be like 
you know, Kevin Hart really didn't need to make that special in his basement where he's wearing a bathrobe and saying he gives no fucks, but the special is about how he gives too many fucks, and it's really oh my weird. God. The people don't need more traffic to that. Yeah, like, I could write a 3,000-word essay on why that is bad and unnecessary, and he should really take a look in the mirror, but that's not going to do anything. You know, I do appreciate that. I think that there's like a lot of, I mean, we all have probably a lot of opinions about like bad comedy and specifically bad comedy that gets a ton of mainstream attention. Mm -hmm. But I feel like you're right. I think it is way more useful to point people in the direction of like some good things that they might not be aware are happening than to be like the stuff that you do have access to on Netflix sucks. Yeah. No offense to all of the comedy on Netflix. I like some of it. Yeah. I like that lady. That really, that really narrows it down, Caitlin. Uh, she best? loves that lady. Is it She's always bringing her up. Please, please say Beth Stelling. Is it Beth Stelling? No, but I, I do love Beth Stelling, but that's not the lady I was talking about. Okay. Um. Oh, fuck. What's her name? She's like, she's got a raspy Maria voice. Maria Bamford? No. No, that's um, not. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Holding. I really thought you were just doing a bit about, oh. Uh, I love that people... lady love you know that one lady you know know, the hair she's got like a rasp she once did a really funny bit about like the first time she got fingered and i i was really this was years ago that i saw this woman might not be doing comedy caitlin's gonna say a name and sunny both you and i are gonna be like oh right (laughs) yeah lucille ball i'm just kidding (laughs) oh (laughs) oh yeah yeah i love her I'm mm-hmm. so close. I can feel it. I can feel it. She did a comedy uh, special just stomping on grapes and telling jokes. <laughs> Smoking a cigarette. Um, My voice is raspy. Mm-hmm. She has like I'm a really great voice. Mm-hmm. Do you what what uh, are your Sunny, what are your feelings on Netflix comedy? Are you are you like I like some of it as well? Oh yeah. I I gotta be honest, I'm I've never been a like a special person. I don't watch a lot of stand up. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's done a, it's done a lot for a lot of comedians on the come up, you know, getting a Netflix special, good for them. Right. Um, but but what about yeah, the non-stand-up big... things like, you know, Ben Schwartz and Thomas Middleditch or Joe Firestone teaching old people how to do comedy or, you know, stuff like that? I don't know what it is. I think it's probably just jealousy and a little <laughs> bit of like, oh, I could do that or I can't do that. Fuck. Um, but I just I don't do a lot of watching straight comedy for pleasure. I don't know. I mean, like I, I haven't seen either of those specials, and I I did want to see Joe Firestone's for sure. It's the one of but the I'm most adorable never... things. And I know that I do not. I've seen like clips and been like, this looks delightful. I should really watch this, and it's just never what I. I really, I just, I just love narrative stuff. I think I need a little bit of a hook. Like, mm-hmm. I often like. Uh, like for instance, I really like Feel Good, and I still haven't even watched May Martin's special, but right, I'm a big fan just because of Feel Good. Right, that's all that matters to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so when you say narrative, way. are we talking about dramedy? I'm trying to give you time, Caitlin. <laughs> Did you? No, find I found name? it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, we found it. Yeah, Jen Kirkman. Oh, I oh, love, yeah. Jen. We love Jen Kirkman. Yeah, yeah. I told I'm you a... we'd be like, oh yeah, yeah. yep. Here we yeah, are. I think Three she's the awesome. I mean, yeah, to be honest, in a lot of ways, uh, 
Jen Kirkman's kind of my dream woman. <laughs> really? Whoa, yeah. let's get her on the pod. Has she been on? She has not been on the pod. I've asked her, and, you know, I feel like she's always in between j- different bars in Brooklyn writing another book. Mm. She loves to do so that. She doesn't have time for the pod? That's that's bull. That's bull. <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, I'll tell Jen that. I'll tell Jen that. Yeah, but tell her I, tell Sammy her Zimmerman said that. that yeah. And Caitlin Moore said, I love you, lady. <laughs> Get on the pod. Deep yeah. voice lady. Deep voice. I love that Jen, I love her dark sense of humor. Her, She has very sharp writing. And like, she has a, a command of the stage that it just feels like effortless that I, I really, really love. And she has great style. Yeah. Mm. I like... I think part of, you know, when I decided, I don't think I'm going to really do stand up so much anymore. And part, it was like watching Mm -hmm. how Pete, like the command that someone like she had, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's so effortless. And I think it probably, I'm sure like, I don't want to, I'm sure it took her like a lot of work to get to that Mm -hmm. place, but also it's just kind of a thing, you know? And Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. I think I'm much more interested in like the writing the laptop writing on the laptop at a bar in Brooklyn part than the getting up on stage part. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, sure. She's, she's probably there hating it. Uh, I want to get back on the stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Jen Kirkman is great. And I was going to ask what sort of narrative things attract you, Sonny, that aren't comedy. I mean, that's not uncommon that somebody in comedy doesn't seek out more comedy in their free time not ju- i like a good sitcom mm-hmm. but i was just talking about this with my partner like even something like the office like when that was coming out when i was in like middle school and high school i was really just hooked by jim and pam like i oh, loved sure. everything else but jim and pam kept coming back i'm just such a sucker for like a good romance so it got me through superstore sure. i was just rooting for america ferrera you know so yeah 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 I don't know. I think I just need a little a little narrative in there. Like funny for funny's sake, it better be really funny, like a 30 rock or arrest right. development or something. But yeah, I'm trying to think of what else I would say. I know Conan Conan, Conan O'Brien loves like he, he graduated as a history major and he loves like watching very, you know, accurate historical dramas and stuff like that. He loves the books that uh the LBJ is based on, apparently. Oh yeah. Oh, he's yeah. had presidential biographers on his show. He's had the writer on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I don't think they would be a guest on anybody else's show. No, I think he was like pursuing the authors of these books for years, and yeah. the publishers are like, because the guy is eighty-seven years old, and there's still one book to come. Uh-huh. So I think they're just like in total lockdown of like, we're not sending him invites to anything. He needs to finish the book. Right. But he got him on the pod. He got him right. on the pod. Take Absolutely. note, Jake. That's how you get someone on the pod. <laughs> Jen Kirkman is your Robert Caro. <laughs> it, it was funny to see Conan geek out in a way that I don't think anybody else would geek out for Robert Caro. <laughs> well, I think Conan is just the representation that we, as a Robert Caro fan community, needed. Nice. We all geek out like that, but okay. it's just not it's not so public right <laughs> it's, it's kept very private 
yeah. So speaking of which, so what as a sort of big question, uh, overarching question, what 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 was your both of your comedy journeys leading to LBJ the play, which what what started as what a meta sketch idea? Like, wouldn't it be funny if we did this? <laughs> Beautiful question. You want to go first? No, you can go ahead. Um. Yeah, the comedy journey of it all. Um, I started comedy in college. I was in an improv group and a sketch group. In LA? And no, we both went to Vassar in upstate okay. New York. Cool. So it was like a very, it's a small school. There's only 2,400 kids, but it's very performance heavy. So there was like five comedy groups and nine acapella groups and uh-huh. very the drama department was very strong. So there was just a lot of performers there. Um. And I fell into comedy. I found my people there. I was really excited and kind of decided I want to pursue that. Mm-hmm. And uh, after school, I was like, am I going to New York or L.A.? And Caitlin moved out to L.A. right away and was like, you'd love L.A. And so I came out here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of been banging around, working various jobs and trying to find my way. The first couple of years were really weird because it was like UCB was still – the dominant force in at least the improv world. And what, what year would this be? You'd say 2017 is when I got here. So it was like, yeah, no, that, tail that, end. Yeah, no, that's correct. Yeah. They, yeah. they were second city. We had nothing going here. I think IO had just closed. I think so. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, okay, I, I took like one Oh one and then really didn't like it. <laughs> and <laughs> Took like a year off and then was like, I've just got to power through. I got to get through. 401 so I can audition and I did that I auditioned it was such a bad audition did not get a call back and then I was just like uh I'm really not feeling UCP and then right at the same time this Jake Jabor I'm sure you've heard of started we improv so I started taking his workshops and it was all I wanted like all I wanted was to just meet funny people I hadn't met like I barely met any funny people in four UCB classes. And <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> whatever. And then in my like first or second workshop with Jake, I was meeting people that are still our friends to this day. Right. Very funny people. Um, and it was so much easier to just form a team and then start performing. And Caitlin and I and Albert was on a team with us back then. Um, Albert, who played the Kennedys in LBJ. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we were just kind of like, Doing improv for a while, pandemic hit. Yeah, Zoom prov, we did that. And then, yeah, to bring us to LBJ, um, yeah, I mean, I was reading, there's this book series, like I was saying, by this guy, Robert Caro. He's written four books so far about LBJ. There's a fifth one coming. And I had always known about the books. My parents had always said I would really like them, but there, there's four of them, and I just never had the time. So I was reading them in... Uh, the pandemic and in quarantine and they're just really really good books there's a reason why they're so they have such a fan base and like I was a poli sci major but I learned way more about politics from these books than anything else and I was talking everybody's ear off about it I was talking Caitlin's ear off about it and she was like you need to make a show where you're LBJ so (laughs) that's where I'll put a pin in it and I'll pass it off popcorn there you go just um, do a show to shut you up about LBJ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, Bad idea. 
bad idea. <laughs> yeah, now I'm stuck here forever. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um yeah, I so I moved I also went to Vassar. Um that's also where I think my comedy journey began. I was in a different comedy group than Sunny. I was in a group that did we did mostly stand-up shows and then we do two sketch shows a year. Um, and it was also like an all women's and non-binary group. So we were very much like, we're the slept on group on this campus. Like we got something to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, it was a really, I was very shy entering into college. And so it was really cool to go somewhere where there was nothing else to do, but like campus theater and comedy and music, right. um, because I became, uh, very arrogant through it. Um, mm-hmm. in, in a good way, I think mostly. Um, but yeah, when I, when I graduated, I was also studying film and I was like, okay, I think that maybe I want to do something here, like something with like writing and writing things that are funny to me, because I think like, you know, growing up also just in case my siblings listen to this pod, I'm not a full only child. I do have two wonderful older half siblings who are not in the house growing up. But that being said, um, I, I just like watched so much like, you know, 30 Rock as a kid. And I was obsessed with that kind of like heavily referential humor. And so whenever I didn't understand a joke and something, I would learn like, what was that based on, you know, and kind of trying to accumulate as much knowledge as I could about like comedy and pop culture and Mm -hmm. where they intersect. And so after graduating, I moved out here because I felt like that was probably like where most of the jobs were. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in some ways, New York would have been easier because I'm from the East Coast and, I, a lot of my friends were going there, but I think I was just like New York or LA will be the harder shift and worst case scenario, I can always come back to New York where I will already know people and know the subway. And, you know, so I moved out here. Uh, First job was working at the Adidas store on Melrose where our paths crossed. (laughs) Yeah, that is Um, true. As a man (laughs) of style about town, I have chanced upon the uh, Adidas store in Melrose. And yeah, you were you were kind of a refreshing, like a, you know, refreshing presence given like I personally felt and that this is just going to work there every day. But I think my sense of style is a little bit more. uh, It's a little funkier. It's like finding Mm -hmm. things that I like that feel one of a kind. And it's very much there like, you know, like it's the Adidas original store for the record. So it's yeah. like the athleisure lifestyle, like how many yeah. different ways can you style a track suit? And yeah. I was running out of options. So <laughs> I mostly worked in the stock room. Um, right. But yeah, while I was there, I was still like, you know, do stand up shows that friends would invite me to do sometimes and sort of trying to like figure out how to write more like outside of the format of a stand up set or sketch and then eventually Sonny moved out here and that was great just great to have like a partner in crime um eventually I sort of moved over into like working and as an assistant and support staff person in the tv world and so when the pandemic happened I was like I quit a job working on a marvel movie just because I was getting kind of anxious about moving to Atlanta where they shoot all the Marvel stuff during a global pandemic and I was sort of trying to figure out next steps and Sunny had you know been kicking around I like you know was reading these books and was like well maybe it's a podcast or maybe it's this and I think I just sort of from the beginning was like I think this is a play you know or like a show of some kind even if it's not a traditional you know five act play I just think that there's something on the stage that's very alive here right um was there I, I would almost be curious the, to be a fly on the wall. Did you guys have a specific conversation where you're like, we got to do this as a play? Uh, no. The... 
I feel like the word play was not, I don't know, maybe I'm just getting stuck on that, but I feel like it wasn't like, let's make a play, let's make a play. It was more just like, let's make a show. Right. Um, And then as the idea kind of got shaped out, it was like, okay, well, it's going to be, it'd be cool if it was in a classroom and it's like a historical actor and then he's doing the play within a play. Right. Yeah, yeah that's I feel like the idea was so, for yeah. like a show and originally yeah. it was like, I feel like I was more just sunny sounding board than anything. Like at that point, there wasn't yet a shape of like, okay, and who's going to be in the play? Like, Mm -hmm. where's the play or, you know, the play, but this comedy show that we're talking about, like there was not yet like a, who's going to be in it besides like, it was always like known that Albert was going to play the Kennedys just because he's got that. Literally the moment that Caitlin said, you should make a show about LBJ. I was like, that's such a good idea. And Albert's got to play the Kennedys. So that was always on, on the table. Always. Right. Right. (laughs) That man, he's born to play that role. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh I love how meta it is. So I, I like you were thinking of it more as a narrative sketch show. I don't know. I think I just, just like I'm not okay, yeah, so. just a show. I think it's just because I had never I don't know. I, I'm not from the theater world. I've never been in a I, I was in a play once in college, but like I just don't have the type of like theater experience that I was like, right. yeah, we're making a play, a play. It was more just my comedy experience was like we're making a show we're making a show <laughs> right I, but this yeah. is a, i i brought this up pre-pod and i think this is always an interesting sort of division in comedy is that there are of course i mean you know midnight mid uh midsummer night's dream is like a comedy but production is productions of that have nothing to do with improv or sketch or stand up like where all those worlds seem to kind of overlap uh, quite frequently, but it seems like theater is just off in its own little theater corner, even if it's like a comedy play. And, and leading up to this, I had seen very few plays that are identified as comedies that were like laugh out loud funny from start to finish, which your LBJ the play is. Oh, thank you yeah i think it's less comparable to like uh maybe other comedy plays it, it was always very inspired from the beginning by nate mm-hmm. by natalie palmita so i think it's much more comparable to something like that sure just with a cast instead of it being a one-person show right how do you see nate in lbj the play oh i feel like i ripped off so much from nate i don't know <laughs> i think <laughs> You didn't I mean, you didn't wrestle an audience member. I didn't wrestle an audience member, no, but I think that 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 show was just a big breakthrough for me because I'm not a stand-up. I'm not uh I'm not doing sketch anymore. I'm mainly just doing improv and it was like I want to do sets or something or I want to be a comedian, but I'm not really trying to pursue like a traditional stand-up path. And seeing Natalie do Nate, I was kind of like, "Whoa, okay." I can make something like this like this is cool and yeah. uh so definitely the gender element of nate is definitely inspired lbj like just the idea of like being on stage as dressed as another gender um the big cock from nate mm-hmm. is taken from that sure. and the audience participation which i know is not ex- exclusive to natalie's show i was seeing a lot of that in la uh mm-hmm. in like the year or two before the pandemic but yeah it was kind of just like what did i really enjoy about nate and those things got really infused into the into the show for sure 
I, because uh, I've seen Nate, I saw Nate several times as it was being developed. Um, it's probably had seven, or it probably has more than seven different endings, but I saw at least <laughs> seven. Um, yeah, I felt like it was just changing sort of like Natalie and Bill would get to wherever they're performing it and be like, oh, I guess we'll end it like this today. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's so funny because I've only ever seen it. I saw it at the Netflix taping and then I watched the Netflix version. So I've really only seen the one ending. Yes. So I'm curious with that in mind, your what what was the process here in fleshing out the show and writing it? And I mean, just off of the fact that you know that you're playing LBJ and your friend is going to be the Kennedys. Yeah, that's what we had at the beginning. And then I kind of went back to the, I had to finish the books, right. finish the books, did a lot of other research, procrastinated for a while. Did you make Caitlin researching. read the books? No. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, I have the first one. I'm going to read it someday. <laughs> when the, uh, dur- uh, During another pandemic? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. Next pandemic, Zoomprov and those books. Um, so, yeah, I did a lot of other research, and then it was just kind of like I hit upon the historical actor and, like, the play, and every step, if I would have, like, a breakthrough or an idea... Caitlin was the one I would bounce it off of and she'd be like that's good or let that go or whatever um and I feel like I almost went down many paths of like should I cut the JFK stuff or something like that and she would be like no that is the show do not cut that um and so yeah there was one crazy night where I was like trying to sort out just the there's just a ton of information about him there's just like so much crazy stuff about lbj mm-hmm. it's hard to narrow it down right so there was one night where i was bringing like his entire life beat it out and it was like okay <laughs> yeah this needs to maybe streamline a bit um yeah and so but then it got into the into forget about spaghetti fest and so i had like outlined it but hadn't written anything yet and so then it was like oh we gotta write this like now and so i wrote a first draft oh banged it out we as a cast read it through it was not working it was like a lot of information in there but not a lot of uh, streamlined like story right it's very expositional or expository it was like there were literally pages of just like this is this is a description of the history of the filibuster like it wasn't Mm. and i knew that i was just like and we'll figure something out with that but here so you guys know here's that um so yeah the first draft was very like unusable and the cast had a lot of thoughts caitlin had a lot of thoughts about like which direction to go with it what we could cut what we needed or didn't need um and then the second draft was a lot better in my memory that's when we hit on the i think we had the stuff with his dad is all real so that was all in the play already but then that's when we got to the edible because they were talking about like let's explore like femininity as well as masculinity and i found that quote of him saying his mom is the most beautiful sexy intelligent woman <laughs> it's like a real thing that he said so then we got yeah. to the edible of it mm-hmm. all and i feel like that's when that kind of clicked in the last layer of the show mm-hmm. um yeah and then it's been 
continual work from there. It's like we're this is probably like the fifth or sixth draft that we just did. Um for this. Ooh, there's a new run. draft. What changed? Plenty changed. I mean so Jacqueline Novak, the new artistic director at the Elysian, she came on board over the summer. You mean Jacqueline Langrath? She... Oh, oops, Jacqueline Novak. Oops. Yeah. I said Novak. I mean I meant Langrath. Um <laughs> That'd be interesting if Jacqueline Novak was the new artistic director. Um, yeah, but yeah, it would, it would. yeah. Sorry, Jacqueline, if you're listening. Um, but yeah, she came on and she's coming from a theater background, so she had some thoughts having seen the show. Right. And she worked with us to go through the entire script and tighten it up thematically and just make sure everything made sense. So it's like if you've seen the show before, not much changes. You know, the structure of the show is the same. Most of the scenes are the same. JFK RFK got rewritten, reworked. Um, but mostly it just was about making sure what's going on with the supporting characters and are their arcs making sense right. and is LBJ's arc making as much sense as it possibly can. It was all it was a lot of work that didn't end up looking like a lot of work. I don't know. Like <laughs> it doesn't look like the show has changed that much, but it felt better. It felt tighter. Caitlin, what was your experience like in developing the show? Um, it was good. It's, um, you know, I'm very, it's kind of crazy to think about just the number of times we've done the show compared to what, uh, we've done what, like, I think it's about 16 times. Runs, yeah. Um, 16 shows, yeah. But yeah, I just I I never would have expected it to become such a thing. I mean, I'm I think I had a suspicion when we were like devising it and in rehearsals, even in, from the first like for the first Spaghetti Fest show, I was like, I think that we're working on something really special and cool here. Um, and it was it's been really gratifying to see it resonate with so many people. Um, yeah, it's been really exciting. I feel like this is a very different capacity to what I'm used to working on with with other people. I'm a very you know, like I do, so I've spent so many of the past like five years just sort of writing on my own or like right. working support staff on something that's like a much bigger, you know, where I'm like a very small part of it, like a huge machine right. um, that's being fueled by Hulu. And it's <laughs> really cool to get to be so hands on with something, um, especially when we're working with such a small team and also doing it with people that I'm friends with. You know, Sonny and I have been friends since college. Um, Albert was at Vassar with us and I didn't really become close with him until closer to the time we were doing the show. But then Soraya, who plays Lady Bird, she and I were in the same comedy group in college. So I always knew that she had this like outrageous kind of star potential. Um, and Katie, who I've met the most recently, we lived together. So, you know, I knew that she would kill it, but it's just, it's been really gratifying to see it all come together in such a way and to get to be the person who's like, sitting in the audience during our rehearsals and being like, okay, that doesn't look quite right there. That was really funny. Like you need to make sure you do that all the time from now on. Right. Um, yeah. It's been very collaborative and very fun. Yeah. And that's very, I mean, you know, uh, at the risk of sounding cheesy, I mean, making things with your friends is kind of like the guiding light in comedy, you know, um, 
if people wonder like how do you make it i mean there's a million answers for that but definitely all of them involve like working and performing with people you like yeah yeah, yeah. that's the best part that's the best part of the show yeah yeah and it's very clear because mm -hmm. i one of the things i was blown away i mean um the show is so tight and i saw it at forget about spaghetti fest so that was like your first time putting it up and i was like I mean, I've seen plenty of sketch shows where it's like, okay, I mean, I'm having fun, but it seems like everybody missed like five cues. Oh, yeah. That first one was a miracle because I think we had like two tech sessions or something like that. Like, it was really just a testament to the cast. Everyone is just so strong mm -hmm. that they were able to handle it. Right. Yeah, that was a very, that show was a miracle. That was an awesome one. The first Wait. one. Mm -hmm. Did you actually have the script in the script that you're reading on stage no no that that came from like a weird tiktok project i did that so that one was like a thick uh legal settlement and i got right. sent two of those in the <laughs> mail uh-huh but that's a story for another day but yeah we just took one of those from the script it was not the real script yeah yeah katie well, though does does have the real script on her desk just in case <laughs> that's nice that's nice. Yeah. yeah, the um, beauty of the show is if anyone fucks up, mm -hmm. we can always just actually call it out with, for the show within a show. So, right, there's some leniency. Yeah. Sometimes people don't know we fucked up. Yeah, that is the beauty of it. Um, so you guys are doing another run at the Elysian, or you did? You already have done uh, another performance or two, yeah? Yeah, we just yeah, wrapped we... one. And you have dates lined up for other cities? Not yet. Not yet. That's all very up in the air. Yeah, we were waiting to see how this last run went. So we've got to kind of collect our chips and see how it went. What do you envision? You know, like, would you, I mean, I get like, imagine it got a, like an off-Broadway run. How would you feel about doing, you know, 60, 100, maybe like 300 performances of it over the course of a few years. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I just trigger you. <laughs> I never thought about it in terms of that big of a number. Um, mm -hmm. But I think about it, you, you just uh, Freudian slip name drop Jacqueline Novak. Um, her show, she's been doing probably like six or seven years. Which is crazy to me. And it has performed it literally hundreds of times. Yeah. I I don't know if we're going to hit the hundreds. I don't know. I think we've talked as a cast about where we want to go. We want to go to New York. We want to do the show there. We want to do the show as much as we can, wherever we can. Um, until, I always say, until we get sick of it. Mm -hmm. I think that'll probably come at different points. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think we just want to do the show. Yeah. But yeah, off Broadway would be nice. Right. I mean, I know Soho Playhouse has gotten more into the comedy space. Like a lot of people do their solo shows there. Yeah. I think we've had a couple of kind of like moments of like, oh, are we ready? And then we've kind of realized like, okay, we're not quite ready to go elsewhere. And we needed to kind of like make sure the show was as good as it possibly can get. Mm -hmm. um, so that was what this last room was aiming for kind of be the final push to make it as as good as it can be 
And I think we all succeeded in that, but right. it's just been like a week or two. So we haven't figured out, okay, the next step, let's right. figure that out. Um, right. But that is the long-term goal. So go right. to New York, see where it can, it can go from there. Amazing. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe it'll end up in the West End. Uh, you said it, Jake. Uh-huh. You said it. Uh-huh. We didn't say it. Yeah. No, no, no. Allow me to say it. <laughs> yeah. You're allowed. I, yeah. I I think I've earned it after writing about comedy for like 13 years. That's right. Yeah. Um what do you think LBJ would think of it? This has to have crossed your mind. I think he'd like it. I think right. it does a lot of justice to him and his uh, his true legacy. Right. And uh, I don't know. He was a fun guy and liked a good laugh. I think he would have a lot of fun in the show. Right. I think he would have some qualms with the ending, but who knows? Yeah, I think it might I mean, be uncomfortable for him to be clocked so clearly, but I like to think he'd be open to it. Yeah. Yeah, I think... I- I think the first 70 minutes of the show, he'd be having a blast. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I did. I There was a time I used to live in Texas and I did visit his um, estate and it was kind of crazy. His, uh, what was it like? Oh, like the, his home? His home? Yeah. Like his childhood where, home? No, with the house, the place where he had like um, his own like uh, airport and... Oh, the Johnson Ranch? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His amphibious car. Did you uh-huh. see that? Yeah. There's so much we couldn't cover. I mean, right. there's so much to that man. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he it, he was so transparently like operating off of who he was when he was like 11 years old. Because when he got rich, all he did was go back to where he grew up and buy the ranch and redo it all. And right. he never left. He never mm-hmm. left. Wow. Crazy. Uh, it would be nice to. Well, it's hard. I mean, hard to say, but I wonder. I I would hope they'd be down for the all the gender identity exploration of LBJ the play. Well, the nice thing is he's dead, so <laughs> I think that we can say that yes, he would have been down for it. Yeah, yeah. I Even though so. hit the the sound of. The, his accent and uh, appearance would suggest that he would not respect pronouns. You know, we don't we don't need a stereotype. <laughs> I know. I, I think I don't know. I think he'd be. I think he'd be better than Biden on this. Look, I said it. Yeah, I said it. I well, I'll say this. I don't think LBJ would fall off a bike. I don't think he would. He wouldn't be caught dead falling off a bike. No yeah. way. Did you know LBJ died when he was 64 years old? And I think LBJ, when he died, looks older than Biden does now, which is mm-hmm. crazy to me. That's what cigarettes will do to you. Yep. But yeah, the year he died was the year that Biden arrived in the Senate. That's how old Biden is. That crazy. is crazy. That yeah. is really, really crazy. 1973. And now Joseph R. Biden likes uh, like making him like falling downstairs or almost falling downstairs seem like it's a bit like, <laughs> that's that's what we're dealing with 
Biden needs a show. I mean, he's just a comedic genius. He's, <laughs> his timing is better than Obama. Uncanny. Obama had he, Obama actually had timing. Obama does. Yeah. Have yeah. Yeah. But that's like, I don't know. Like, I don't think that Obama could ever. I think there's people with good timing and there's people who live their lives in a truly comedic fashion. And right. that is Joe Biden. That's Biden. Yeah. Yeah. He can't help but be a walking joke. Yeah, he is a yeah. fool in the purest sense of the word. He's a fool. Yeah, that's the best word for him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it was a thing when Obama was in office, they would do the White House Correspondents Dinner. And everyone who would did it, did it during Obama's administration would be like, oh, God. Obama's <laughs> actually like funny. I have to follow that. You know? Yeah. Not now. Not oh now. God, I hope I hope there aren't any real Biden diehards listening to the pod because we've gone in. No, man. No, no, I mean, what's interesting? I have like for people I know who are, I mean, I don't know where the hell they are on the political spectrum, but it's somewhere on the fringe, and they think that anyone who's like any sort of left is like pro Biden, and I have to tell them like. You know, we're just putting up with it. <laughs> like, we're yeah. not happy either. We're not proud of him. <laughs> yeah. Don't you know no one's happy these days? Yeah. Uh, I Can't remember... Night behind that. Oh. Yeah. In the, in the 2020 election... Um, oh, God. I, I forget what activists did, like, a promo for Biden, but the, the promo was sort of like, Oh, she's voting for Biden. You think you know better? <laughs> I would like to know which activist that was. Um, it was oh, she wrote a whole book on um prison abolition. Why am I blanking on a name? Not Angela uh, Davis or and it was Angela Davis. There we go. Oh wow. my god, yeah. If Angela Davis could suck it up and vote blue, then you can. Can't we all? Yeah, yeah, but what what a what a vote of confidence is like, and it it wasn't kind of like like, uh, I I'm voting for Biden, so I know better. Suck it up. Yeah. Suck it up. Yeah. Uh, well, you guys want to do some comedy news? Sure. Sure. <laughs> Cool. Um, I mean, this isn't strictly speaking comedy news, but I think it's a good reminder that needs to be put out there. While the WGA strike has been resolved and the writers uh, did get everything that they wanted after needlessly suffering over uh, 100 days, uh, SAG-AFTRA is still on strike. And uh, I think they just surpassed 100 days this week or something like that. And if they end up getting what they want uh, from the AMPTP, it'll seem like they're a bunch of just assholes. They, yeah. Yeah. No, uh, the AMPTP. Uh, they're like, like, say. oh, yeah. yeah. If we if we were just wanting them to sweat it out for five months, and, um, and then we, we just wanted them... to waste everyone's time for a and, good long, yeah, year. Yeah, disrupt the whole industry, you know, make people lose their homes, you know. Definitely. But we totally intended to give them what they wanted. <laughs> we just had to see that they wanted it bad enough. Right. Well, Which we were pre yeah. pretty sure was going to happen, but yeah, why not go through it? 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the strategy is get them to Christmas. You know. Mm -hmm. Right. They want to make people suffer till the holidays. How do you well, uh, how do you guys feel about? I mean, like it definitely there feels like a shift in the energy where you're not hearing as much honks at like the picket lines anymore or i mean some people i mean that i think it's an interesting dialogue that's being had like because people have to say or sometimes you have to get to say that while it's like the wga strike is over but the strike is not over yeah yeah yeah, it's definitely like, I mean, I definitely had some weird feelings during the WGA strike just because I remember, um, what was this? I can't remember now if this was 2021 or 2022, but do you remember when we all thought that IOTC was going to go on strike? Right. Like it yeah. was going right down to the wire and I was in IOTC. I still am in IOTC at that point. And I was like, oh my God, like this is going to be crazy. And it was just like feeling like I was getting all this energy from like other people I knew who, you know, who work crew, but like, it was like every time I sort of tried to talk to someone who was in, you know, a, a I don't want to say a higher guild, but you know, like my bosses that were in the WGA or the DGA, like I just wasn't really sure that they had the same sense of urgency around it, you know? And I think that like, you know, in the end, that strike ended up getting averted because ultimately IOTC does not have as much bargaining power as the WGA or SAG, you know, mm -hmm. um, which not to say that they have, because they obviously should not have had to strike for as long as they've had to for the things that they wanted. But it just right. feels like this kind of like weird shell game where like we're all dealing with the same villain, basically, which is mm -hmm. the AMPTP. But like then there's still such a clear like, based on how these strikes break down and like who actually goes on strike and how the negotiations go. I feel like part of, for me, like the kind of flagging of my own personal energy is the sense that like, there's a power structure here. And it's like, only when certain groups of people struggle, is there any real movement? Because I remember then when like the IOTC deal came out, it was like, this is missing a lot of the stuff that we asked for, you know, that right. I was told we were like gonna hold out for until the very end. And, mm -hmm. you know, I also like can't afford to not work anymore, but right. you know, it just, it, it's a weird, it's a weird feeling to watch. Mm -hmm. You know, I simultaneously want all the strikes to be over and for everyone to get what they want, but it is like, I have yet to feel the like optimism from like progress is being made, you know? Right. right. Um, yeah, it's, it almost feels like there was a general strike this year or close to it. Cause not only <laughs> did SAG after and WGA, but the United auto workers went on strike. Um, hotel employees in LA went on strike uh there's so many the teachers went on strike teachers went on strike in LAUSD for three days yeah um I want to believe that that'll have a huge sea change but we'll we'll see we I think yeah I mean I, I feel like the one thing we haven't gotten is a general strike which would be awesome and we need one mm -hmm. but there's been a huge Overton window shift just in terms of labor in the last like two three years yeah which I'm I'm grateful for. I think we made a lot of progress. And if we look back like five years ago, things right. were very different. Mm -hmm. um, I think there was a lot more hostility to things like unions. I think people just weren't educated on unions. Um, a lot of people had just absorbed other stuff. No. So uh, I don't know. I'm hopeful yeah. about that. Yeah. My dad likes to say that uh, unions are as evil as corporations. Yeah. Any organization is corruptible. Yeah. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't mean we get rid of the idea altogether.
Right. I, I feel like my dad thinks of all unions as just like the Teamsters from the 60s and 70s. <laughs> right, right. Aren't they, though? Mm. <laughs> Brand Drescher is uh, Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah. I'll take Fran Drescher as Jimmy Hoffa any day. She'd make a mean Hoffa. I would yeah, love yeah. to see Hoffa. that. Get her mm-hmm. in the project. Um, okay, next item of news. Uh, Netflix is returning with a stand-up showcase series. They hadn't done one for a while. They came out with their series of half-hour specials that was called The Stand-Ups. And then they came out with the unprecedented 15-minute special, which arguably, uh, according to the Bureau, is not a special because it's 15 (laughs) minutes. That's a set. Uh, That's a conversation at a party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) For some people, that is like them doing crowd work atop and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Burn through 15 fast. And that was uh, called uh, such a beautiful name, the comedy lineup. That was what they went Gorgeous. with. Oof. I, says I it think, all. Clunker. It says it, yeah, I feel like somebody told me once that the part part of the reason they chose it is because they wanted to be easily translatable for the 140 territories they're in, which I don't care for. Okay, yeah, they could they can just rename it. Like it doesn't yeah. need to be a literal translation. No, they do that anyways. Ugh. Yeah, so frustrated. Uh, yeah, and so they 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 had a slight tick up in name quality they're calling this stand-up showcase series verified stand-up what <laughs> yeah i think the idea being that everybody on here is verified on instagram or whatever or tiktok but now you can pay for that so that doesn't really mean anything no it doesn't does it <laughs> i mean they, oh they like i like a lot of the who they pick so um they have 10 Folks, uh, Asif Ali, Dulce Sloan, Gianmarco Soresi, Isaiah Kelly, Leslie Liao, who just had her late night debut on the Tonight Show this week, Namish Patel, Robbie Hoffman, Rosebud Baker, Sabrina Wu, and Vanessa Gonzalez. It's cool. I cool lineup. Love, uh, love Sabrina. Love, love Robbie. Love Sabrina. Love Dulce love Sloan. Robbie. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I would love the others as well if, if given sure. the opportunity to hold their hands. <laughs> you want to hold their hands while they do a set? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, now that's an do idea. better. Yeah. Yeah. 1000% Maria Banford would do that. Yeah. Yeah. Do a whole hour. Anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Is it, she is truly a say. I don't know anybody else who would do it or pull it off where she'll be like, she'll be on social media like, does anybody want me to buy them lunch and I will do my hour to you and yeah. you can get anything you want on me? Or like, wait, you know they would pay for you to do it, right? Yeah. She's very generous. Have you been to one of her 9 a.m. shows at PDA? No, but I've seen Maria. Uh, I, I caught a noon show at Dynasty several years ago. I, I, I don't know. I've been hearing good things. I was just so... I just can't get past going to a show like that at 9 a.m. It's just very groundbreaking stuff. Yeah. She's always been groundbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's done a special to her parents at her house. Yeah. I've I've heard of her tweeting, you know, do you want to hop on a Zoom with me? Which feels even more intimate somehow than lunch. Right. So I respect her. Yeah. I respect Maria. And also to have the foresight to be able to translate your act from sitting in a booth to being on stage. Yeah, 
I feel like then it's going to be bulletproof. Like if they're laughing at it in the booth. Yeah. They're going to be laughing. Well, one on one, especially like it's obviously a Maria fan that's watching. It'd be hard not to like just giggle the whole true. time. <laughs> that is true. Maybe she's getting really, you know, like zhuzhed up and then she's going out there and absolutely tanking on stage. None of us know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's not true. <laughs> Maria's okay, good, doing, good. Maria's doing great. Maria's fine. Yeah. Um, I get a break. I, what, what, okay. You said your piece about specials. What if a streaming service or a network decided to make a special out of LBJ? I don't think any of us will want to turn that down. <laughs> as long as they don't replace me as director with Bo Burnham, I'm fine. <laughs> I think optics, our rider. I think the optics wise that would be very bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Burnham can't take another hit on the optics. He can't <laughs> he can't go down. Not another run. Um but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like to bring it back to the Nate comparison, it's like it's always been in our minds. Right. After after the first couple of runs at least, it was like, okay, where could we go? Yeah. Um, what what would you envision it being like if you had the sort of scope and resources uh, of a special you know I think it'd have to still be filmed live there's something so particular about the audience participation and having people in the audience be on edge like sure. hoping that they're not getting called on right but I think uh, there's a guy that's really uh <laughs> Is this on your end, the guy lyric? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got you, got you. Sorry, I just got distracted listening to this cover. Um, but yeah, so it's like a, it's kind of tricky to translate to screen because of that. But I think it would mean you'd have to film it live, uh, just like Nate. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't. Mm-hmm. I haven't thought that far about it. What do right. you think? Uh, you know, yeah, I would, yeah, yeah. I would love to do that. I think there's definitely. It would be a creative challenge, I think, to figure out how to translate it completely. But I definitely have some ideas. I would you some. want to do it in a big cavernous theater? Would you want to do it in a black box? Like, you want to do it? I, there's some places, not only are they in the round, but they have a rotating stage. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Like, what do you mean? Like the Carousel the, of Progress at Disney World? Kind of. There's specifically, I forget where in Arizona, but there's a there's a theater that has a stage. It's like in the rounds, and then it slowly rotates as the show is happening. I love that. Yeah. So every everyone eventually gets a good view. Okay, oh then God. there. That's where we'll do it. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Cool. I'll follow up with the name. <laughs> I learned about the there was a there was a live episode of My Favorite Murder where they did that. It was just like I mean, obviously you couldn't hear a podcast thing. That's the one thing you don't need to see. Yeah, but like the that's the thing about podcast tapings for a big podcast like My Favorite Murder. Sure, you can listen to it for free later, but that's not why you go. You go there to be with your people. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And to give Karen yeah. and Georgia fan art in person. <laughs> yeah. They love that. Um, yeah. But to answer your question, I think, I don't think we're ever trying to get to like a cavernous uh, performance because the show is so dependent on the room right. and feeling like you're at risk of being called on. I feel like if you get into like hundreds of seats 
it loses that. Um, so, so cap at like 300 maybe? Sure. If you want to cap it there, sure. <laughs> I'd so cap it at 150, but it just depends on the space. So Largo is about 200 and change. Yeah. What do you feel? You, that that like the limit? To me, yeah. That sounds like about the max we could do. Um, I've been I, to, it, like, it actually Dynasty. Like, yeah. Dynasty's room feels about the right size. Mm -hmm. Um, That kind of level. Yeah. We're not going to Pantages. I'll tell you that. <laughs> It'd be cool to oh, see at the Pantages, but yeah. It would, it I haven't would. given up on the Kennedy Center yet. <laughs> Wait, no on the Pantages, but yes to the Kennedy Center? It well, holds yeah. a, I'm, I'm a DC girl. It holds sure. a special place in my... You never forget your first trip to the Kennedy Center. And I think I think that if there's any big space that could play really well in, it's that one. You know? Yeah. Stuff yeah. it with some, some DC insiders, some hill heads... Some I mean, that would heads. be cool. To, I mean, I think that thematically would be very cool. Yeah, I've never been. So it'd be cool to go to perform there. Uh, hopefully in front of a cool president. Right. But my hopes are not high on that. Um, maybe on the, the cool president part. Maybe the Johnson yeah. Ranch? Outside? Yeah, build yeah. A stage. We, we had, like, asked uh, the the museum there if they were interested in in the show at all just kind of as a long shot and they were like no but if we ever go there we're gonna get a vip tour they were very sweet oh so, awesome yes yeah, so we love the library <laughs> Even <though> none <laughs> of us have ever been uh-huh yeah but yeah amazing um man and i'm trying to think of other places to go i mean there's a show now I'm trying to think just thematically. There's a show from this New York performer, Ben Wasserman. He does this whole show about grief, and he mainly does it at funeral homes. Wow. Mm. And it's and it, I, I, I've only seen it in actual theater, so it's different, but I imagine it's a whole other universe. And he's actually doing it at one of New York City's like most notable cemeteries this month, this mm. week, I believe. Uh, the Greenwood Cemetery. That's oh, cool. It's a yeah. huge cemetery. It's mm. huge. It's really, really big. It's really um, cool, though. I feel like we've never discussed, like, could we do this at a high school or something? Um, mm -hmm. Even just to invite uh, adults. I don't know. But <laughs> it could be. It could be. Oh, I mean, yeah. in L.A., yeah. I mean, I know they do, like, um, kind of high-profile events at, like, Crossroads in Santa Monica. Oh my god, we should go to Crossroads. <laughs> yeah, it'll probably be nicer than any theater you've played because it's only it's honestly a rich, it's a rich person true. private better school. bathrooms than the Elysian, I'm sure. Yeah, stage the Jonah Hill walked. You know, that's where I want to be. Or did he go to Harvard Westlake? Let's go to Harvard Westlake. <laughs> yeah, get on that stage. Yeah, right. Following Ben Platt's little footsteps. <laughs> Absolutely. Um. Well. That is all the time we have for today. This was such a oh. delight. I'm so glad that I got to talk to you. And I hope uh, everybody out there listening, if you haven't seen LBG the play, please go see it. Um, and Or even if you've seen it already, it, they just said it. It's been updated. Yeah. So go watch it again. Follow us on Instagram at LBJ the play for updates. And where can people find both you sonny and caitlin online and is there anything else you would like to promote 
Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Zimmer underscore down underscore. And same for TikTok. And I don't have anything else to plug. This is my main drag. Follow LBJ the play on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I'll just plug it again. Uh, cool. Um, and you can follow me on Instagram or Twitter uh, at Caitlin underscore De Niro, like Robert. Um, and oof. I wrote an episode on a Star Wars show that has been pushed because of the ongoing SAG strike. So I don't know when you'll get to see it, but keep your eyes peeled for Star Wars Skeleton Crew coming to Disney Plus. Oh, cool. Um, And you're just so you're allowed to say that. I don't want to. Oh, yeah. I mean. The episode I wrote is in is in season two, so it's not it's going to be a while. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you people know that the show exists that we are sure. allowed to talk about. Right. Starring Jude Law. Porn mm-hmm. dogs. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's it's always weird on like Disney Plus when there's like, OK, this content isn't for kids at all. And it lives on Disney Plus. Yeah. However, this one is for kids. It's got right. it stars for children. So right. all you kids listening to this podcast set your dvrs set (laughs) oh because the gen alpha kids definitely know what dvr is gen alpha (laughs) yeah i was just thinking about the sound that tivo used to make you remember that oh yeah anyways i don't have any thoughts on that i was just thinking about it Whenever a a detail like that comes up I, i always think about like there was at least two weeks worth of meetings about that noise oh yeah oh you probably you probably know this sonny do you know the um and i learned this thanks to emily heller that bill clinton's like like halfway thumbs up like fist thing i'm doing it on camera but people can't see it it's Um, happening yeah and that was focus scrooped oh like this? I didn't even yeah. know anything about this. I got to do some research now. But... Like, yeah, do you like, trust him more if he does this or if he does this or if he yeah, does this? Yeah, yeah, they tested that. Like, thumbs up was a little too much and the fist was obviously, like, authoritarian looking. So wow. they, they, like, landed in between. That is so funny. Someone's just like, what if we just cut the baby in half? What if you didn't actually do anything with your thumb? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about that? You know, yeah. I, Wow, wow. Yeah, I gotta look that up now. That's fascinating. <laughs> oh, Bill. Oh, Bill. Yeah, that That's was like something zi- that like George H.W. would come up with. Like, he didn't have any charisma. <laughs> no. And back when Dana Carvey, Dana Carvey said he had a really hard time figuring out how to get into his um, H.W. impression. Oh, yeah, because he had nothing. Doesn't he give was you a so, lot to like, work with. No, yeah. He's just everybody's friend. That's about it. <laughs> Uh well great I'm Jake Kroger I created the Comedy Bureau you can find the Comedy Bureau at thecomedybureau.com at the Comedy Bureau across socials you can find me on Instagram at not the supermarket Twitter's still kind of active but Twitter's bad guys I don't know if you've heard that it's bad off. yeah yeah you gotta pay on. you have to pay to unretweet something I found out the other day what? So, <laughs> yes good oh thing I live without regrets God, yeah. Yeah, so oh. if you're still on Twitter and you're just on a retweet streak, know that Elon's going to charge you if you want to undo it. 
is bleak. Yeah, it seems so like bleak. he wants Twitter to fail because that is the only thing that makes sense. It's the only thing I've heard since the beginning that has made sense all along. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it'll probably sink even further as the Cybertruck comes out this week or this month, <gasps> I think. This month? Oh my God. So that ridiculous. <laughs> that could be its own weird, like, like Hulu doc unto itself that it was uh, this oh, crazy sure. idea that, w- that he had to raise funds by selling flamethrowers. <laughs> oh my god. There's so much. I can't wait for the documentary on the tunnels. Mm-hmm. The tunnels that were going to solve all the traffic by having each car load into the tunnel one minute at a time and then having no way to get in or out if one of them breaks down. Right. Hyperloops. Yeah. Anyways. Anyways. Go on all day. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that another time uh, another, another time another pod uh, yeah. yeah 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 for sure uh there are so many great causes to support this time so i ask that you please support those but if you have money and generosity left over please support the comic bureau to keep it going and do you have anything to say as we sign off here thanks for having us Absolutely. thanks for having us Woo. yeah and Love thanks for bureau. thank you and thanks for um you know being at adidas originals uh, um that's all right. those years ago the most noble thing i ever did right even though <clears throat> they never sold any exclusive collabs a thing i was very no. mad at you and a lot of other people this podcast is not about uh like fashion collabs but that is like a thing that really gets under my skin like i don't want to have to line up at a specific store to buy this just Amen, sell it online brother. yeah it's a crime it's a crime yeah, shout out to all those people who, whose job is just sitting in a lawn chair on Fairfax. You guys are the real heroes. <laughs> they are. All right, uh, as the live comedy is still very much happening, and as the group Brody Stevens would say, enjoy it. Comedy Bureau Field Report is recorded, produced, and edited by Jake Kroger. Music by Brian Grineo. Artwork by Andrew Delman and KT. And part of the Believe Podcast family. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.